Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our series, Making the Most of Your Salvation, with a message titled, Knowing Your Church. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. This message today is part of a topical series that I've entitled, Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, I've used the example of possessing computer technology, but not knowing what it's for or what it'll do. And I've suggested that's how some people live out their Christian faith. They simply don't know what's available to them. And so I've talked about, you know, some of the things that are a part of the package of our salvation. And in so doing, I've tried to paint an image. I started with a voting booth, speaking of God's election, and next I moved to an accountant's ledger, speaking of the doctrine of imputation, and then to a hospital operating room, it's the doctrine of regeneration, next to a courtroom, the doctrine of justification, then a living room, which is adoption, then a marriage altar, which is the doctrine of union with Christ, then the image of the holy of holies, which is, you know, the doctrine of sanctification. And and yesterday, I, I really gave no image for the reality of the Holy Spirit. It's just one of the great mysteries of our faith. But today, I also need no image for today. I want to speak to you about the church. See, the fact is, from the Bible's perspective, the church is a gift given to you by God to assist you in your Christian living and to provide you with a foretaste of what is to come. The church is God's gracious gift that greatly enriches our lives. So here's a little truth. God sent his son to save us so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but that we might live in love. Love, well, that's something you do for someone else, and the church is the fulfillment of the doctrine of love. So I'm just going to have to stop here and address those who are going to say, it just never felt that way for me in the church. I've been you know, wounded in the church. I've been neglected by the church. No one cared for me there. You know, others might even say, I've been misled by the church, and still others will say, I've been harshly judged by the church. And so in order to help all of us who believe in Christ to understand what the church is, let's start with a most basic level. How important is the local church to me personally, that is, to my faith? Indeed, how important is it to my salvation? See, I say all of that because I do know of people who will say that, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't belong to a church, and neither do I see a need for that. So I'm going to feel at the outset that we need to establish two very important things. First, we need a good working definition of what we mean by church, and then after having done that, we've got to establish the place of the church in our salvation. You know, it's only after we've done that that we're really in a place to find out what the church does to contribute to our salvation and to the outworking of our faith. So good. You ready to go? Let's start. Let's define what we mean when we say church. See, I think at the most basic level, we should point out that the Greek word which we translate as church, it's the word ekklesia, and a literal translation of the word is simply the word assembly. It is, if you will, an assembly of people. Now, there are numerous examples of assemblies in every culture. I mean, go to a professional sporting event, you're going to find a great assembly. Same's true of a political rally, same's true of a, you know, a musical concert. And in each case, people assemble, that is, they gather together, they've been brought together by a common purpose. 
you know, they may want a certain person to become the next prime minister or they're cheering for their hockey team or they share a joint love for classical music or jazz or rock or hip hop or whatever have you. It's a common passion. It inspires people to assemble. It's, it's been this way for the history of the earth. And so at the very basic, I would say that the church is what Hebrews 12:23 calls it, the assembly of the firstborn that it's the assembly of those who proclaim Jesus as King of Kings and a joyful celebration of his supremacy over all things. Now, the minute I say that, I've already by design canceled out a number of common misconceptions about the church. And first of all is, you know, the image of the church as a building. You know, when people say, you know, my church is that big building over there with a cross on the top. No, no, that's not a church. Look, I also say that because, unfortunately, we haven't helped matters much in our terminology. You know, every church building has a room, and we call that room the sanctuary. Now, that's language that's borrowed from the Old Testament temple, and it's the idea that there is one room which ushers us into the presence of God. And the problem with that language is that it messes up the imagery of the Bible. The temple has been rendered obsolete by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that has once for all ended daily sacrifices and offerings. And and furthermore, the curtain of the temple into the inner place that led to the Holy of Holies, it's been torn apart. So the physical sanctuary has been done away with. The church is not the New Testament fulfillment of the temple. The sacrifice of Jesus is the New Testament fulfillment of the temple. No, no, the church is an assembly of God's people. Now, one more confusion. The church is also not the clergy, nor the leadership, nor the elders. That may be how God has designed the assembly of God's people to be organized, but you ought not to speak of the church to refer to priests or bishops or pastors or the board. Well, now, there's still another confusion I need to clear up. Every time the church assembles, we don't assume that everyone who assembles there is one of God's people. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 reminds us, the Lord knows those who are his. The local church may gather in a given location, but no church is so pure that all those gathered there are all sold out to Jesus. And I think we all know that. God alone knows who belongs to his true church. You know, and for that reason, some theologians have chosen to speak of two concepts— One being the visible and the other the invisible church. And what they mean is that the visible church is the church that you and I can see. And the invisible church is the church that only God can see because only God can see into the hearts of everyone. Let me try it another way. The visible church is the group of people that come together each week to worship and to profess faith in Christ. The visible church is that group of people that are held together by a common confession of faith. They're a group of people bound together by an affirmation, a belief in but one God who forever exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A common confession that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, that he took upon himself flesh and that he suffered and died for the sins of all who put their trust in him. It's a common belief in the gospel and a common affirmation of the central truths of the faith and of the Bible, which holds Jesus to be the cornerstone of our faith. Typically, what the local assembly will do is to affirm this through a membership covenant. So when you join the assembly, you affirm the common confession, both in what you believe and in how you live. 
But after we said all that, we still can't see what only God can see, that is, into the hearts of people. And there are no doubt all manner of men and women who have affirmed a common confession, but whose hearts remain unchanged. But a local church needs to be charitable and only remove those who, when in some public sin, simply does not affirm Christ. So historically speaking, a great many Bible teachers, when attempting to describe the visible church, are going to say, you know, a visible church is known for three very important markers. First, within that local assembly, the Word of God is rightly preached. It's accurately preached. It's free from obvious false teachings. Wherever there is an assembly that does not faithfully preach the gospel or the implications of the gospel, that assembly is a false assembly. It's a fake. I'm going to say to you that whenever you go to a local church that denies the foundational or central teaching, that assembly is not a true visible church. It's false. And if you're a Christian, you you, you should get out of there. You should have nothing to do with that. The second important marker of a true church is that the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are truly and rightfully practiced. You know, I'll put it this way. These matters were instituted by Christ, and no church can be true if it does not adhere to Christ's teaching on those matters. And the third important marker of an authentic or true church is that discipline is being exercised. See, wherever a local church will not insist on godliness in belief and in practice— Wherever it countenances and encourages sin, it's not a true church. So I'm going to say those three things, the word, the ordinances, and consistent discipline and care for the spiritual lives of its members, that makes a true church. Now, I'm sure more can be said, but it's unmistakable that these are genuine marks of the visible expression of what Jesus himself, the head of the church, has mandated for a local fellowship of believers. Having said that now, hear the words of Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, I hope you heard that. Christ loves the true, authentic church. Indeed, he died in order to create just such an assembly. How important is the church? Important enough that Jesus himself proclaims the church to be his beloved people. Throughout 2021, we pray that the Bible would be at the center of all you do, guiding, encouraging, even challenging you in your walk with Jesus. Every resource Back to the Bible Canada creates and shares with you will continue to offer Bible teaching you can trust to support your walk with God. This month, we want to send you for free, during the month of February, Dr. Neufeld's new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation. Based on his powerful teaching series of the same name, the truths you'll learn as you walk through New Testament teachings on the benefit of your salvation will be transformational. Help us to continue bringing excellent Bible teaching to anyone seeking truth and transformation. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or donate securely online at backtothebible.ca. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. Indeed, as Ephesians 1, to 23 tells us that it was God's eternal plan to exalt Jesus as the highest authority in the universe, forces Paul, for the sake of the church. 
You see, that's just how much God thinks of the church. He wants to exalt the church as first place in the universe, not government, not family, not any other human structure or any other human assembly. The church is, according to God himself, the most important assembly ever created. You're going to notice that in defining the church as an assembly that functions according to the instructions of Christ, I've actually said nothing about where that church assembles. See, it doesn't matter if it assembles in a house or in a gigantic megatheater. It's just irrelevant. Size is not the issue. Obedience to her Lord is. And you'll notice I have not given a definition of the purpose of the church that's going to come. See, up till now, I've only wanted to give a most basic definition of the nature of the true visible church. And I've also made the point that, yeah, you might belong to a church and have deceived everyone about your true internal condition. But one, God knows that. And two, your deception does not negate the fact that this is a true church. And you'll also notice I've, I've not yet talked about how a church should be organized or the marks of a healthy or vibrant church versus a, you know, a declining and complacent church. See, it's very important not to confuse the issues of genuineness with the condition of health. See, think of it this way. You can have a genuine human being who's also an unhealthy human being. See, in the same way, you can have a genuine church of Jesus, and yet it's sick at the same time. If a local church is diseased, it may eventually die and no longer be a church, but there are a great many true churches that need to be revived. But please bear it in mind. Just because they need to repent and seek to ask God to revive them doesn't necessarily mean that they've ceased to be a genuine church. It's so important to say that. There are marks of a true church and that do no more than tell you that it's a true church. And I mention that because of something that all of us are prone to do. See, we criticize our church or churches. I mean, maybe the pastor doesn't have the, the kind of zeal that you think he should have. You know, or perhaps the lay leadership is overwhelmed with their own power and they're not sensitive to giving their lives for others. And perhaps you've witnessed church members with bad attitudes, or perhaps you've noticed that your church has become more introverted and concerned with themselves than they are for the lost and the broken in your community. I mean, maybe the music in your church bugs you or perhaps something else. I mean, you can name it. See, the point is, God has appointed your church as a means of grace for you. You can grow in Christ outside of the church. None of us should be fooled by thinking that we are or can be in Christ and have nothing to do with brothers or sisters in Christ and with the public assembly of God's people. Christ said that he would build his church, and if you think that you can bypass his mission and be one with him, well, you're fooling yourself, but you're not fooling Christ. Christ intended that the Christian life be lived not only with fellow believers in Christ, but with fellow believers in the assembly of a true church. Notice then how the New Testament reads. All books of the New Testament are not written to individuals, they're written to churches. Even those letters that appear to be addressed to individuals are written to men who give leadership in the local church. Hope you hear what I'm saying. The entire New Testament at no time was written to individual Christians. Every line of it was written to churches, authentic churches. The people who read it could only live out the teachings of the New Testament in the context of their local church. 
There is no New Testament faith if it's not a faith connected to the church. That means that in the church, we learn to pray. In the church, we read scripture. There we exercise faith. There we learn to love Jesus. There we learn obedience. Christianity, look, it's not an individual sport like golf or solitaire. It's a team sport. It can only be played in learning to love fellow believers and to forgive fellow believers and to pray for them and to serve with them and share communion with them and and to believe the gospel together with them. Well, having made that point, I'm still left with defining what a healthy church looks like. We're reminded of Christ's words to the church in Sardis. He said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And that may be true today. See, it's possible to have a false reputation. Happens easily. A church may have a great orator for a preacher, a great worship ministry, great youth and kids program, great special events, programs that are excellent in every way. Its budget might be over the top, and yet something is deeply diseased. So how can we describe health in a local church? Now, I put before you a list of things that lead to health and vitality, and to a large part, I've borrowed some of this, you know, from Mark Dever. He's pastor of Capital Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. First, healthy churches are founded on expositional preaching. That's what Paul told Timothy. He pastored in Ephesus. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See, the word refers to scripture. I mean, no one should care about what a given pastor thinks about anything from politics or to what makes the good life. We should only care that he is careful, verse by verse, to show the true meaning of scripture and explain it, making application. If a church ignores that, it replaces it with an overabundance, let's say, of topical preaching, and then it runs the danger of being disconnected from Scripture, no matter what they claim. You know, second, healthy churches have a crystal clear understanding of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. And then in verses 3 and 4, he says, for I delivered to you as of First importance, what I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scripture. See, first importance means there's nothing of greater importance for any church than to understand and to proclaim this one thing. Christ died for our sins. We're saved by faith that Christ was substituted for us. His death is a substitutional atonement. We're saved not by our obedience or by our faithfulness, but by Christ's obedience and by Christ's faithfulness obeying the Father to the point of death on a cross, and it is by his death that we are forgiven. Fail to understand that, and your church is instantly diseased. Third, healthy churches understand genuine conversion and can explain it and know how to lead someone to Christ and the cross. Fourth, healthy churches teach all their people to know how to share their faith with others. Five, healthy churches teach the obligations and the covenant of church membership. They call for faithfulness and share what harm can come when church members gossip against each other. Healthy churches explain the way of love and show how to live it. Sixth, healthy churches have a form of leadership that conforms with New Testament patterns. Seventh, healthy churches insist on honoring Jesus in everything. Devotion to Jesus, the proper doctrine of Jesus, the necessity of worship to Jesus, understanding his lordship, his uniqueness, his loveliness, everything 
permeates and is filled with Jesus. Eighth, healthy churches teach people their spiritual gifts so that every single member not only knows their gifts, but is learning to use them in service to God, in service to their fellow believers in the church, and where applicable, in service to the community as a whole. And ninth, healthy churches look for new ways to reach out, ever expanding by reaching as many as possible and converting them to Christ, baptizing them, and making them into full-fledged disciples. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus wants his church to walk in health and not to stumble along in complacency. So let me end with a note. All believers in Christ must find their home and their fellowship in a local church. No one can call God his father without calling a local assembly of believers their brothers and their sisters. 1 John 4.20 reminds us, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother or his sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. We need together to overcome the current crisis of complacency towards the church. All believers need to belong to a local fellowship of believers. We need it more than we've ever imagined. We can only be healthy as we connect ourselves to the assembly of God's people and an assembly that is authentic and then to pray and to work that it becomes healthy. We must believe in the local church, for the local church is the assembly that is loved by Jesus. Learn to love what he loves, and let his love permeate your life and cause you to grow. John, thanks so much. A great message. In respect to the church, though, could you help me clarify the difference between authenticity and health? Yeah, I mean, authenticity says this is a true Bible-believing church that belongs to Jesus. You know, if it's a church that's, you know, embroiled in heresy, it can be to the place where it's not a true church. But, you know, some churches, however, even though they're authentic, I mean, they just need to repent in some areas, or I just need a new sense of passion, a new vision that needs to be given. So, yes, they're truly Christ's church, and he loves them, Um, But there's so much that needs to be done to go back to health. So, you know, I like the example of, you know, you can be a true human being. You're just sick a lot. Um, That doesn't mean you're not truly human. So it's the same way with a local church. So I think that tells me that we should always love what Christ loves. If the church belongs to him, love it. Thanks, John. That's helpful. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Making the Most of Your Salvation, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. One of our listeners wrote, We believe that Back to the Bible Canada is at the beginning of something groundbreaking in Canada. God is and will use you in an amazing way. Well, messages like this are so encouraging and eye-opening. God is at work and the gospel is being heard across this entire country. Back to the Bible Canada programming is broadcast from Vancouver Island to Prince Edward Island on 98 facilities with some 2,652 releases of programming every week. With God's blessing, people of every age and background are being impacted through faithful Bible teaching. Back to the Bible Canada's mission is to promote spiritual growth and lead people into a growing and dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Find out how you can join us in this mission by visiting Back to the Bible Canada or by giving us a call at 1-800-663-2425.